Are we on, are we? We are, mate. You say we are. <laughs> Yo, I am very happy today. I uh, I started uh, started motorbike training, something I've wanted to do for years and years and years and never really got round to it. And then um, it turns out that not far from the studio, not far from where Mrs. lives, is um, is a, a company called Camrider, Camrider Warwick. Um, so uh, a couple of days back, I I thought I'd take a wander over. Wandered in out of the blue, and uh, they were in the middle of um, teaching a couple of couple of uh, guys. I was going to say guys, but it was a, I think it was a, a bloke and a, and a lady. I've been taught doing a CBT maybe, and I got talking to the to the uh, manager there, Cam Ryder Warwick, uh, a guy called Mike. Once I got him talking, flipping heck, he's one of those guys you can't stop him talking. As soon as he found out his ex-military, not that I broadcast it, I don't know how it came up in conversation, but it came up, and uh, I couldn't shut him up. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Um, loads of stories i think his uncle was military his dad was military just he, he was obviously a massive massive support of the military and um so he he, he made space for me he got me straight on the course and uh today i went down at my uh my first uh, my first day out on the bike um me and one other student uh, with an instructor called tim well mike did some admin uh tim's a super nice guy and we went all around warwick and, and leamington um well i said that after a few hours uh, a few hours spent in inside the compound as it were in Warwick and doing some basic bike maneuvering skills and your your safety side of things going over some of the green cross code um it was really good actually you got a really good space there um very enclosed it's not uh, you, you don't get members of the public walking by the instructor to student ratio is really good so if you happen to be one of those students and you you, you do get not everyone's got the same confidence level if you get one of those if you're one of those students um learn anything really you get easily flustered by um people looking on should we say then it wasn't it's not the case there at cam right there it's really really nice environment in fact the first thing i was greeted by when i rocked up before i even wanted to know what what i was after the two days ago was it was a brew which is like a brew i could have been there i could have been a tax man rocking up to tax them they just the guys are guys are really really nice really nice fleet of motorbikes there so when you're out you're out riding you're not on anything old and um yeah, I think what time we finish up? Finish up at three o'clock. So not long ago, a few hours ago, finished it up. I've had a fantastic day. Learned learned loads, but it was super enjoyable. The massive, massive influx of information, but it was a super enjoyable day. And and um and uh, I can't wait to go back. Actually, I can't wait to go back. But even better than that is the culmination of the day. Mike has turned around and said he wanted to sponsor the show. Um, we were talking. I was telling about the HR show. And um, that we're always always looking for sponsors. You know, we more than welcome companies or individuals who are fully supportive of the military or ex forces personnel. And um, he he did mention actually he trains um, he has trained people from a couple of distinct units, should we say, from HM forces. So he has got links with um, links with current with current uh, servant personnel and units. And he like I said he. So you want to sponsor? So Cam Rider Warwick are now sponsoring this show, which is absolutely superb. I'm really happy because I've got first-hand, uh, first-hand knowledge of them, first-hand experience. I know they're good people. I always say it's fantastic having sponsors on who I who I know are really good companies, really good people, and um, that's certainly what I found with Mike and uh, Tim and Damien today, another one of the instructors. Yeah, thank you very much. You can go to camrider.com to find uh, find camera. Cam Rider online, or you can search for Cam Rider Warwick on Facebook. They're on there. You got like a hundred odd, a hundred. I've written it down. Hundred and twelve five star ratings on Facebook. They got five star ratings coming out of the years on Google and on Yell.com. They're just superb. I mean, um, get along, find out for yourself. And if you ever thought about getting a bike license, I 
highly recommend training with Cam Rider. And if you're in the vicinity of Warwick, Warwickshire, Leamington Spa, Coventry, even as far afield as Birmingham maybe, it's worth the journey down to go and train with these guys. Just nice. Just nice people. It's nice. You have a nice time. You have a nice day out. Even if you don't manage to take all the information in the first time, you got another time. You have a nice time. You're speaking to good people. That's enough of saying the word nice. Camrider.com, Camrider Warwick on Facebook. Find them, share them, give them a like. Even if you're not interested in your bike license, get on there, give them a like, give them a share. Just a thank you for them helping us with the show and help you enjoy this 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 uh, audio sensation that's brought to your ears every week. Or if you watch it by video, even better. In fact, no, because video doesn't get this. The video doesn't get the sponsorship, so I'm waffling. Wouldn't be a podcast without me waffling at the start. Um, also sponsoring the show today is 429 Group. Sponsoring this and almost every show, 429 Group uh, supply health and safety, security, medical and first aid services, so medical training. Oh, sorry, first aid training and medical services, medical cover on set, on site, wherever you need it. We also supply some um, health and safety uh, equipment, and first aid supplies from fire extinguishers through the first aid kit through to uh, emergency blankets all sorts of things you just need to give us a call or give uh, go onto the website 429.group operating all over the UK and abroad where necessary thirdly I would like to mention rugby for heroes rugby number four heroes rugby for heroes um, rugby for heroes they were started back in 2009 so they've been going for nine years now um they raise money through organising events, so rugby competitions, festivals and uh, live music, various events including all those kind of things. Uh, they held um, recently held a, a rugby sevens competition, I think it was called Elite Sevens. All the profit that they generate goes directly to Armed Forces Charities, which is why Rugby for Heroes exists, to support Armed Forces Charities. Um, to this date, they've raised almost £100,000 and this isn't um, an organisation that runs 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They generate their money purely through the individual events throughout the year. And they don't do that many um, because they have, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to organise, especially when you're not, you're not a charity per se. They just organise the festivals when they can, when they've got spare time, and when they, can, when they know they can get lots of people in to enjoy the festivals. And that's how they raise money. So in the last nine years, it was £100,000, which I think is a fantastic effort. One of their founders is a guy called Michael Valance. Uh, Michael Valance is the managing director of transaction banking for Santander. And he's also my guest today. So without further ado, H plus 11, Michael Valance, enjoy. This paper's rubbish. We can see each other. We can see ourselves in... Michael, before, we, before I crack on waffling, Michael Valance. Pleasure. Good to meet you. Thank you Good for coming, you. Ray. Thank you for coming. Short notice. Uh, for those uh, listening, um, we've got, we have a, I have a laptop. The laptop records the live stream for YouTube. And I thought, well, what normally happens is I glance at the laptop to see how good I'm looking. And it means I'm not looking at the guests. I thought I'll cover the I'll cover the laptop. I'm never looking good, by the way. I'll cover the laptop with a piece of paper, and it's white paper, and I can see myself through it. So I just have to ignore it and assume I'm looking really good. Um, we need to do something beforehand before we even do an introduction. Last week, um, Tony Lewis. No, it wasn't last week. It was the week before last. Tony gave me a copy of uh, Private Chris Burtonshaw's Afghan Diary, which I put on f- Facebook, and I thought, well, fantastic piece of kit. 
fantastic read. Um, I find it even just the first page. When I, I wanted to give it away as a competition, and I um, I, I went on to Facebook. I thought, like I normally do, I thought I'll do a, I'll do a Facebook live, a Facebook video, and do you got to give away? Da, 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 da. And I was sort of in my head rehearsing it in my head as I was um, as I was looking at the book, and I thought I'll, I'll read out the first page of the book because it's it's a really good. It's why he wrote it, dedicated to his children. And every time I was reading it, doing the intro in my head, I started welling up. It was just so emotional, I, knowing what he, knowing what the diary contains. I thought, nah. and I ended just writing at the end, and anyway, I've waffled. The giveaway was just for the, our Patreon supporters. So, um, in true spirit of the podcast, to make it truly random and bizarre, not really. I've written all their initials down on down on a piece of paper. A very nicely uh, I know, cut piece I know. of paper, if but I say. I, I thought I'd do it with you and you can verify they're all there. So I'm going to read them all out so that they, not the names, but so you know, we've got JB, we've got DH, JV, GG, KL, DW, JM, FG, NM, MP, MV, SH, and PS. Who's PS? Who's PS? I'm going to scrub these up. I'm going to scrub them up and I'm going to shake them about my hand and then you're going to pick one of them. Michael, and then you're picking the winner, and then that person will get sent the diary. We'll do this really quick so we can crack on with a podcast. But um, I didn't want to not do it. I was supposed to do it yesterday, but I got busy, so they're all getting scrunched up. Um, have you read the diary? I have. I, I've, I haven't done it all yet. Again, I think one of those reasons is just flipping neck. It's I, one of those uh, pieces of uh, writing that once you start, it's very, very difficult to put it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that with. Um, I hardly read anything military now. Um, for various reasons and I did that with uh, what's the book Adam Jowett's book he did a book about Musakala and it's called uh, No Way Out and I, I thought I'm not going to read it I'm not going to read it because um, I'll read it and I'll, and I'll see something and maybe it won't be that accurate I'll be wrong and it just annoy me because I know better because I was there and then um, Max Arthur rang me up the, the military historian like yep. the most the most I think he's the most successful military historian British military historian British military historian, a friend of mine, and um, he rang me up and said, uh, "Have you read the book?" I said, "What book?" And he said, "No way out." I said, "No." He said, "I recommend you read it." And he sort of in the, in the process of conversation, he persuaded me. Ten o'clock that night, I started it. About one a.m., nearly completed. I couldn't put, again, couldn't put it down like yeah. a diary, you know. Anyway, yeah. waffling again. Right, they're all scrubbed up. This is for all the Patreon supporters. So this is a big thank you. A lot of our um, a lot of our uh, giveaways will be for the Patreon supporters because they help us keep going along with other people. It is just very, very, very nice, generous gesture to support us on Patreon. So I'd like to reward you guys, not just with the podcast, but with other things where I can. With giveaway stuff. Michael, in fact, the guest today has given more, provided more stuff to give away, which I'm sure we will come on to. Right, here we go. Shuffling this up. Anyone, pick one. High-tension stuff, this, isn't it? There we go. We've got a winner. Hey, if it's a certain winner, it can't be a winner. Indeed. <laughs> go with it. Just What's bear with me while I open Certain initials I can you. read out. So we'd like to read the initials? Yeah, go on. Are we ready? Drum roll? Yeah. P.S. I can't think of P.S. is. P.S. Congratulations, P.S. Who's P.S.? I probably know them. It's not upside down, is it? No, it's, it's not. not. Like no, yeah. It's B. No, it's P.S. <laughs> P.S. Well done. You were reading a copy of... Um, Bertrand's diary. I will message you on Patreon, and you will send me your address, please. Thank you very much. Congratulations! Right, that is it. Michael Valance, why are you founder of Rugby for Heroes, Leamington? I'm saying that deliberately because there's two Rugby for Heroes. I didn't realise you got the charity and you got your organisation. That's right, yeah. And uh, well, I got connected with you through Tony Lewis. We met up at the three five three event, didn't we? That's right. Yes. So um, you've got no military background, correct? Not directly, no. 
Okay, so you never, you never served? No, I didn't serve. No? no. So, so what, you're one of the founders of Rugby for Heroes. That's right, yeah. Where, where did the motivation come from with that? A um, number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by way of kind of background, I have um, sort of three generations of my family who served. So mm-hmm. my great-grandfather served in the First World War. My grandfather was in the Second World War with the Royal Marines. Uh, my father and my stepfather both served, did national service, you know, in the Royal mm-hmm. Air Force and in the Army. So I got a lot of, I suppose, legacy and um, sort of values passed down um, from all those people, particularly my grandfather was very close to. So if we fast forward to... Uh, you say you your grandfather was Marines. Royal Marines, that's correct. Second World yes. War. Correct, yeah. He was in 4-1 Commando, he was in, yes. Ninjas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was um, um, signed up in 1940 mm-hmm. when he was 34 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up being a captain, served um, in the Mediterranean, served then at the Normandy landings. Mm-hmm. And at the um, the campaign they did to open up the estuary leading up to the port of Antwerp. So mm-hmm. after they captured it, they had to clear the estuary. And uh, the Royal Marines and the Canadians had a very, very um, tough operation. And he was on uh, a landing craft support, support ship, so they were mm-hmm. providing kind of um, air cover for the, the guys who were waiting in on, on the shore. So, you know, he went right the way through, 1945, and then he was demobbed and uh, went back to live a very quiet, uh, quiet and peaceful life mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. Was he was he local to you? No, he was actually from Lancashire. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was uh, a man of uh, man of Blackpool, mm-hmm. and uh, he, uh, you know, said lived a, lived a, a life which involved a lot of fishing. Um, and just general enjoying the peace. You know, mm-hmm. he was got a sense into it. He never really told me anything about his, you know, his military service. And I all found out all about his, what he'd done and where he'd been after he died. Because my mm-hmm. gran- grandmother gave me a folder and said, ah. here you go, do with this what you can. And so yeah. I pieced together everything from, so, from the back of that. Second World War Marines, is that, am I correct in saying they were the cockle shell heroes? Is that where all that I, came from? I think from? so, yeah. There, yeah. Was, there was kind of like the commandos and... and um, I believe they all went through the, a sort of a similar training mm-hmm. regime, which involved time up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, um, you know, he, he uh, the interesting thing is, of course, at that time, a lot of the guys were just shown as being posted to bases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to really dig into, um, you know, where they would have actually been, where, where would they serve? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the MOD uh, were really helpful, actually, just helping me pin things down. And, uh, and, I see and you did a lot of charities. research then, as well. Yeah, as I did. Stuff yeah. You, you know, give you. yeah, also one of the charities, the Soldiers Charity, who we support, the Army Benevolent Fund, as they used to be mm-hmm. called, they, they had a historian on their books, and he was absolutely terrific mm-hmm. in finding out information, both for my grandfather, actually, and my great-grandfather. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I had that kind of, you know, those values, that history in the family, and uh, although I went into kind of industry myself uh, for my career, it's always something that's interested me. Mm-hmm. And back to your question about, you know, why Rugby for Heroes? How did we get started on it? Well, in 2008, um, the son of uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, he was he was killed in Afghanistan serving. He was attached to Para, served with uh, Joe Whittigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we, um, a, a friend of mine and I were down at the Hell for Heroes game at Twickenham uh, that year when they were really sort of ramping up their fundraising activities. Had a terrific day, you know what it's like, you go out and have a few drinks, all the best ideas come out after a few drinks, <laughs> and we're on the train back up to Warwickshire, you know, a long emotional train ride, you know, after quite a lot to drink uh, at Twickenham, and uh, we got talking about, um, you know, what if, what if, what if our local community rugby club in Leamington could actually do something, obviously not on the same scale as the massive endeavour that they did at Twickenham, but what, what if we could just do something to show some support, really, for the families of those who were killed in action, uh, those who were serving, mm-hmm. so that we could try and send a message that, you know, although we're not there on the front line, we could still do something to support. So mm-hmm. when that, uh, you know, after Joe uh, was sadly killed, um, 
the following May, we planned to do an end-of-season fundraiser, basically, for a couple of charities in his memory. And that's how it all started. It started off with a day of rugby, um, a, bit of, a bit of live music, a bit of food, had the bar open, drinking for charity, you know, that kind of concept, great rugby values. And um, that's how it all started. It really was about, it was about that kind of, you know, what can we just do to, to show support, to show that we're thinking mm-hmm. of people who are serving away back home, you know, looking out for their loved ones and so on. Mm-hmm. How often do you do the festivals, the rugby festivals? So we, we got into a groove with um, the Rugby Heroes Festival of doing one a year, mm-hmm. and we'd always do it on the same weekend in May okay. so that people would start to get to know that the event was on mm-hmm. and that we could uh, start to build up build up something that was really meaningful and would you know make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, once a year, basically. Which, uh, which weekend of May is it? So the second, year, second weekend of May... So after typically the May bank holiday, we always wanted to steer clear also of the Army and Navy fixture. <laughs> so for obvious reasons, you know, you steer clear of that one, steer clear of the uh, the bank holiday, and then it was always it's always has been the second second weekend of May. Why um why do you, why old Lemontonians? Is that because I, from your growing up around you and your connection to the club? Or what is your connection to the club? So my connection with the club is I um um I, we moved out of London. Uh, living directly in London in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. and first thing I did, apart from you know move house, get the family settled in, was find a rugby club. Yeah. So rugby, rugby fan, and I played rugby from mini rugby days basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you found this with your rugby interest. The first thing I'd always try and find anywhere I live would be to you know where's the local rugby community at. Mm-hmm. So I went and uh, joined on Lemontonians in the mid nineties, and uh, played a few seasons before I sort of hung my boots up in a, in a playing capacity, and then sort of started to do other things to support support the club but it's a really really interesting club it's um you know it's founded in the early 30s linked to Leamington Boys College it was the it was the boys college sort of you know rugby club and then became the old boys rugby club as guys started to leave and then mm-hmm. you know wanted to carry on with rugby and um there are two rugby clubs in in, in Leamington there's old Leamingtonians and Leamington RFC the town the original town club and uh, old Leamingtonians attracted me because the moment I walked in there people were friendly and they were welcoming and, you know, a pint was produced from behind the bar while I was signing my membership form, mm. you know. So it was just yeah, instant welcome. Well, instant when, we, welcome. When, we, when I went there for the, after that show with, uh, what was it, number 10, H plus 10, Latonia, the, the Saturday after coincidentally happened to be, which I didn't know about it until he mentioned it on the show, was that the, that festival, yeah. was the festival on, yeah, on, Comrades on Ride, yeah. Like Comrades Ride, yeah. And um, it, the, the, the club just had that feel. I, that's, I agree with you. I just walked in. And um, we got there, myself and the missus got there early, um, or quite early, and so it wasn't, hadn't, the bar the bar was just about to open, but it was just, it was just nice, it was just, it was just old, old rugby club, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know everyone yeah. knows those kinds, and um, there were nice people there, nice people, and um, that was a good day, that was a good day actually, it was a good day, but I, I've not really, I mean, around this area, I've not, not really been here long, I've not, I've not, um, managed to dig into any of the clubs in fact that's probably the first place I've been is Old Lemontonians right. first place I've been but I don't think there's no there isn't a, is there a club in Warwick there used to be oh, there okay. used to be sadly it closed down yeah, um, yeah. and um, the second club in Warwick also closed down so what you're tending to find now in community rugby clubs that um, some of the very very small ones say with a single team or two you know mm-hmm. they just unfortunately aren't able to sustain the running costs mm-hmm. and uh, at Old Lemontonians we're incredibly fortunate because we've got rugby from the age of six up to veterans mm-hmm. uh, in, with, uh, you know, boys and girls playing. We've got, you know, three senior men's teams turn out. 
we've got a fantastic ladies squad that has been going for 30 years you know we've got probably one of the longest serving oh, ladies really? squads in in the county and yeah. probably in the country actually it's been a really 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 strong thing and and our mini and junior section is something that we're super proud of because we've got hundreds and hundreds of kids coming up from the age group of six up to 16 then into mm-hmm. into Colts rugby so we've managed to build and sustain a strong membership and as you're saying you know you've seen the club you've seen what it's like it is welcoming we have um you know a good stock of senior rugby pitches which is one of the reasons why we've been able to hold a festival mm-hmm. there because when you're running it you need space how many are there how many pitches are there? there's four senior pitches yeah you then have a full training area facility mm-hmm. you've got then mini and junior pitches as well so you know we've been very blessed with you know a fantastic set of facilities partly because the club took the decision back in the 1970s to relocate out of a town center location yeah Selberland, buy some agricultural land and then so where was scratch. it before then so it was right in the town centre in Lamington Spa in a um, the, the ground there was called the Crofts and it was an area called Cloister Crofts so it's on one side of the one side of the town as if you were going out towards mm-hmm. you know the A46 uh, mm-hmm. dual carriageway but yeah I mean the beautiful place there's a cricket club still there at the moment in the okay. town so yeah so it kind of you know we've we've really been able to I suppose uh, me as a club member um, we've been able to kind of sustain and build membership across all spectrums really mm-hmm. And it's one of the things you have to do to survive and prosper these days in, mm-hmm. as a community rugby club. Mm-hmm. Costs go up every year, and mm-hmm. you have to be able to generate, you know, the income. Do they still do? <laughs> makes me smile. Do they still do? Um, or do they must do that. Yeah, it must be like a rugby wide thing, club thing. After the match, where they go and does the does the hosting club put on a scarf and a drink for both the teams? Absolutely. My God. Absolutely. You know when you say that, I, I got involved in. Um, <clears throat> I got involved in football youth football for a while um i have a clue i i'll watch a big match big football match you know an international if interests me i'll, I'll watch england okay i apologize to our welsh family and friends who will hate me for saying that but fairly i'll watch england when they play it <laughs> i enjoy it but i'd never been involved in sort of club football didn't have a clue how it worked um but then uh, uh it was about oh, it must have been three or four years ago when my daughter's um, got into it their their mum's side of the family big big footballers um, so they wanted to do it so you know you crack on and uh, I ended up being the child welfare the club welfare officer I've got a health and safety background and sort of so they needed someone I, sort of ste- I stepped into that and they ended up coaching but uh, I didn't have a clue man. oh my god when 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 my eldest went from I think it was year uh, I think it was um, age 12 under I think it was from under 11s to under 12s, or under 12s to under 13s, one or the other, the offside rule started. And the first match of the season, they asked me to run the line. I, I thought I knew the offside rule. I thought I knew it. And I I, I put my flag up for offside. <laughs> put your flag up for it. Was offside, so you can't have offside from a, from a throw-in. Oh, I, don't, I didn't, didn't realise it. My eldest daughter's got her head in her hands going, oh my God, Daddy. But um, what really surprised me when I go into that side of things, and let's take a backtrack what annoys me about football and this isn't I'm not going to rampage about football I love it what a great game it is a great game I can see why it's so popular to watch it's yeah. just a great game Okay, I prefer rugby that's because I brought up rugby football is a good game great game to watch addictive but when I started getting the youth, the youth football like I could see where all of the problems with a lot of the problems st- could be solved in the adult world when we're talking about hooliganism and horrendous supporters, yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of good supporters, you know, well behaved, but 
the, the, the reputation for football sports to be complete flipping idiots. Um, I can see where a lot of the problems could be solved at the grassroots because uh, I'm going off on the right tangent here, but when you money six years old, my youngest daughter is six years old, right? Where she wanted to change clubs, there was a transfer fee between clubs. Six years old, right? The subs that they have to pay, all you know, all clubs, whatever sport, have to pay subs in some way, some pay money in some way, or raise money in some way, shape, or form. Rugby clubs and football clubs do the subs to pay that. But then there's transfer fees between clubs. You get um, fees to go into different li- craziness at six years old. So six years old, a factor in who you play for and what you do at six is money. Is yeah. money. So then you get up the chain to the football and you're asking, and you, and you got players who are earning God knows how. I mean, I can't even, I don't, they're in flipping thousands of thousands, like what, a quarter of a million a week somewhere on, is that correct? Um, uh, and they're on the pitch and that's the main motivation money. You know, yes, they enjoy the game. But because their heart sort of isn't, isn't in 100% from the start, the motivation's for the wrong reasons. And then you're asking the supporters to behave and not be hooligans and all that in the stands. But then the idols they look at on the pitch because they haven't been sort of brought up from grassroots with your motivation should be to play. Play for your team. You know, play to help your friends out, play to win and da 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 Not play to earn money or, or play. You know, you play you want to play for, because you enjoy it and for nothing else. That's what it should be at the bottom. Don't get me wrong. At the career end, it's got to be for, you know, it's got to be for money. You need a career. But then they're on the pitch because of that thing and other mitigating factors. They're gobbling off at the referee. They're flipping, giving each other crap and they get away with it. Get away with it. So they've got a complete, a complete disregard for authority. And at the same time, you're asking the hooligans, the supporters, to behave when their idols they watch have got a complete disregard. It just, it just, it just winds me up. It winds, really opened my eyes. I, I really didn't like it. Like the girls playing, but the money involved from that early on, and all that money involved. I think the, I think the league that they were sitting, they were playing with. I can't remember the league. In fact, I wouldn't, if I could remember it, I wouldn't name it anyway. They had in the bank something to the tune of 50 or 60K and had been building up over a number of years. And I went to um, a league uh, meeting where all of their coaching staff and managers and stuff went across and had a, we had a league meeting. And one of the questions that came up, and apparently it comes up every year, is what are we going to do with the money this year? It doesn't do, 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 do anything with it. It sits in the bank, just rolls up. What's happening with all the money? Do you know what you don't get at football matches? You don't get burger and chips after the two teams are going to sit down with each other very few of them have a clubhouse there's nothing they don't have anything yet there's right. so much money in youth football mm. compared to youth rugby where does it go you can pay up the, up to the league up up the chain to the league or up the chain wherever it goes it doesn't sit with the clubs so again from that side of things which is why rug, I mean rugby supporters are revered around the world you can have a South African supporter next to a Welsh supporter in the stands you can have a you know a, a Gloucester supporter next to a, a flipping Was supporter in the stand and drinking drunk as you like very little chance of any issue happening you know because from grassroots up the end of the game's finished you could have been scrapping on the pitch you know you could have been really close game it could have been for the club afterwards you're in the same clubhouse burger and chips squash the kids don't have to pay for anything it's all all, all, all provided for and there's less money in that rugby than there is in football Where's all the money for football going? It could solve so much more. Just be nicer. Stick burger and chips on it. It'll solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or it's even true, isn't it? pasta or something like that. But, you know, yeah, yeah. something should be should yeah. be done. I mean, yeah. you know, oh, is it healthy? You say pasta, then. Is it healthy meals now, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, it depends. It depends who's cooking. But, again, you know, the, the couple of things to say. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that culture of um, welcoming 
and respect is like at the heart of rugby values and you know particularly in the community game you know the amateur game still mm. and that means that you know when you when you have a team visiting you or when you have a series of teams visiting you always lay some food on for them because they may have traveled a long way you've got people from all walks of life mm-hmm. you know playing rugby and you know we come together in the sport but you know hospitality is absolutely key to it at the same time you know the not just the you know the english rfu and all all of the unions you know publish codes and values you know about how they want people to 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 to, to perform and and to to do it and respect for the officials respect from the touchlines runs through the core of the game and i think when you get those values although it's very physical very competitive things flare up you know it very quickly settles back to just remember the core values mm-hmm. of, of, of respect of teamwork of sportsmanship mm-hmm. you know and pulling together mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's that's why i love the game so much mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think that's why it's so good for young people to play it at a time when you know you get people getting concerned about you know the impact of injuries and so on and so forth but fundamentally it teaches so much mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people get a lot out of it so mm-hmm. is there a big drive on um with youth in youth rugby with um uh, women's teams at the minute there is, yeah, there is in football, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it has been probably for the last five to ten years, certainly a very fast-growing area of the game, both with 15-a-side rugby, the rugby union, and also sevens, rugby sevens, which, you know, as you know, tends to get played more in the in the spring and summer months because of the, you know, fast fast gacker game and, um, you know, firm surfaces that make, you know, make for great great running rugby in a, in a sevens context. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we've seen, um, you know, the number of players grow. Uh, we've seen new women's teams grow in in the Warwickshire area, so it's certainly very very popular. Mm-hmm. And with Warwick University being so close to us as well, there's university sports, uh, mm-hmm. ladies rugby growing in university sports as well. So you know it's really taking off. Mm-hmm. Warwick University is a big one. I've, I, haven't, I've been, I haven't been there. Yet. I hear it's a good place. Um, so going back to um, rugby for heroes, when did when did you hold your first event then? So it would have been it would have been May 2010. No, it was actually May 2009. So, so Joe was lost in 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 June of two thousand and eight. Ah, okay. We then yeah, went to yeah. the you know the the H for H game, the Health Heroes game at uh, Twickenham. You know, the following year, early year, and that's when we really started to plan it. So the first one we did was in May two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and it was literally a single day just of getting both youth teams and senior adult teams, men's and ladies, out on the park. But it was very small T- tournament. Yep, yep. We played rugby tens actually at the senior rugby level in men's and ladies. It was rugby tens, ten, ten aside. Yeah, I remember. It's the ultimate social rugby, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you don't yeah. have to wheeze around the park for eighty minutes and uh, you know have a really tough afternoon. Yeah. You can go on and off. And typically with tens, it, it suits itself well to a pool and then a knockout format. And also, typically, especially if you have got veterans, you know, sort of veteran mm-hmm. age over thirty-five, which is my, my sort of age group mm-hmm. these days, um, you, you get the chance to do roll on, roll off subs. So the moment you're wheezing or blowing through mm-hmm. anywhere. Then you get the chance to stick your hand up and say, "Can I just have a minute off?" You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it, but it's it is perfect for a tournament because it just keeps the interest levels going, and and you have the ability to scale it in terms of having more and more teams in the same space mm-hmm. of that you actually run the festival on. So yeah, we run the for the first few years of the festival. We run um, yeah tennis side rugby for men's and ladies squads, and then we also then started to build up the mini rugby side mm-hmm. of the event as well. So you can only go up to a certain age group because after the end of April, uh, the laws and the uh, rules in the English RFU are that you have a only a certain defined period of time in the year when you can play contact rugby. In, okay. in, in you know, Typically when you get to nine years old, you start to move away from, say, touch and tag rugby, you go mm-hmm. to contact. But as a kind of CRB or child protection 
and safeguarding matter. You can then only play between certain months of the year. And because we will run our festival in May, which is beyond the end of the year, you know, A, we go and get the RFU's approval to do it because you have to get approval. And B, you know, they would play, go back to revert to playing sort of touch and, uh, touch and tag rugby. So, that, you so, know. so what is it, September to March or something like that? September no, September, it's September. Typically, you've got fixtures kicking off. You have pre-season, obviously, for training and then a few warm-up games. But for the mini and junior side of the game, that's typically between September and April. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much coincides with the senior rugby uh, calendar as well. So outside of those months, you can't do contact rugby? Not for mini and juniors. Which is what age group? So technically the definition is under six mm-hmm. to under 16 or 17, right? So that's your, that's your age spectrum of mini and junior rugby. So first of all, you start at six, you play touch and tag rugby to learn the basics of movement and passing and you know all the mm-hmm. stuff that goes with it. Then when you get into the age group of under nines onwards, that's when you can start to learn to tackle and, and play contact rugby. But that is also where you get the, the safeguarding coming in and you know kids can't play contact rugby after the end of April. What they can do is they can play touch and tag. What's, what's the, sorry, what's the, what's the logic with that? I don't understand. It is there to and is designed to safeguard the health and wealth and well-being of, of kids. But physical. also, yeah, it's, it's about physical, you know, the physical growth and... I suppose how much rugby. It, I mean, this is essentially set RFU policy in in England. You, you basically when did this kick in then? I couldn't give you the exact date. You can train through the summer, though, right? Yeah, you There's can no train. You can, train you can play. You can play touch, and when you get up to the senior end of rugby, you can play sevens. But can you train contact? No, not you, for not for kids. No. So you have you're having the summer off basically to, so to you play cricket you can't and do, do other tackling things. Correct. Training. You can't. Okay. That's ah. correct. That's. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that up to sixteen. Mm. I, yeah, it's 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 it's, maybe, it's the rules, and it's what we've had to abide with, and it and it's done for oh, no, you know, I don't consistency. The rules, I, yeah. I, just, I'm, I mean, I'm surely that would I. And this is coming from a guy with a health and safety background. Might might be a bit of health and safety gone mad a little bit. I mean, like yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. accountability and all that as well. But yeah. then I can't help thinking that maybe that will that. Will that damage the um, the development of the youth game? For, and the start, I mean, it uh, doesn't the seem seniors. to do. It doesn't seem to do. But because, again, the other thing, of course, you can go and do at some stage over the summer is you can obviously you can play sevens when you're above a certain age group. You can also play rugby league because rugby league summer runs the way through. And so it, if you, there's no restrictions play, on that. I, I don't know the, the detail of the No, but I mean, game, but, so you if you're playing that in the summer, that. you would... Yeah. Yeah, so the, so the union restriction is on contact in the union. Yeah, but you're gonna play league, and if they're doing contact, oh, it's different. Yeah, yes, but, but again, it's back to the age groups. I don't know how many you okay, know many yeah. junior sides are, but I mean, the key thing for us in relating to the festival, what we did was because we wanted to do this event and start to build it, and also because we wanted it kind of an end of season celebration mm-hmm. as much as anything. We, we we managed to navigate through the, the laws a by sort of collaborating with the RFU, you know, and getting their their sign off for us to do stuff, but. By just structuring the weekend, because it, you know, after the first year it was one day, and then we thought, wouldn't it be great the next year we did in 2010? How about we make it like, you know, we start and do it on Saturday this time? So we did that. Then a few people turned up on Friday night for a mm. few jars. Mm. Adults, obviously, not the main yeah. juniors. And um, we thought, this is quite good. We can actually sort of get a bit of social crack going on the Friday, and then people play rugby on Saturday, and then have a gig on Saturday night, a few yeah. beers, and then leave on Sunday. So that's how it then started to build, you see, and we started to be able to ramp up the number of teams that would come along and, you know, the uh, the number of adult teams that we had grew year on year on year. So, I mean, for the year, the, the May Festival from this year, just gone, we had the largest number of sevens and tens teams playing 
we had 34 teams, 34 uh, team squads come. And that was across men's, ladies and the veterans tournament that we run every year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were really proud of that because, mm-hmm. again, you're back to building something from, from nothing. And one of the key development points for us was we we went probably for the first five or six years actually just running Rugby Thames and really steering it towards community clubs. And then one of our great sponsors who supported us right the way through, a, a local sportswear company, um, not far from here actually, they came and said, had you thought about bringing the Elite Sevens tournament circuit to, to Lamington Spa? And I thought, that's really interesting. I, I'd not heard of Elite Sevens before okay. until I saw it on the website for yeah. you guys. So go on yeah, so, so with Elite Sevens, uh, again, there is a circuit of tournaments and competitions for Summer Sevens Rugby. Um, you know, some of the really big and popular events in the UK and Ireland are things like the Kinsale Sevens mm-hmm. uh, down in County Cork. Lovely, lovely place, lovely, fantastic tournament. You've got the Bournemouth Sevens, which is the single largest um, Sevens tournament with, you know, Sevens rugby for men's and ladies, netball for ladies, dodgeball, you know, you name it, and a massive rave, mm-hmm. you know, each night of the event is mm-hmm. incredible. But basically what you've got is you've got squads of players coming together either to, you know, play under charity colours or, you know, build their own Elite Sevens team. Sometimes they get sponsorship from mm-hmm. kit suppliers and they compete around a series of tournaments. And um, what we found with that sort of approach was... Not only could we take the standard of rugby at Rugby for Heroes up to the next level by adding Elite Sevens, it would bring extra colour and more supporters and spectators to come in, but it meant that we were seeing a standard of rugby because some of the players who do play Sevens rugby at the elite competition level, you know, play in National League One, for example, which Mm -hmm. is one step below the Premiership. So, you know, you really are starting to ramp it up there. And, of course, the sportswear company we work with, they supply a number of sevens teams and they sponsored uh, amongst other things a really fantastic tournament um called summer social which is at richmond the deer park uh, where london welsh play and richmond play lovely stunning park. yeah it's lovely yes. park but yeah. stunning stunning tournament mm-hmm. and is there pitches well there's not pitches in the park is it no they're on the adjacent to the park yeah right, so okay, very right, very right, close right, to the park right. there but when you start to go when you go to one of these events and you see you know the the standard of rugby but also the the fact it's coming to the summer period and people are really enjoying themselves and they, they make a festival of it. Mm-hmm. That was another way in which we saw, yeah, we could add, you know, Elite Sevens at the competition level to Rugby for Heroes to give it a fresh boost because one of the things we learned as a team along the way was you couldn't stand still with an event like that because the moment you, you just did the same thing year after year, people would lose interest. Mm-hmm. Everyone always supported the cause. And remember, and I should have probably made this point earlier, one of the real driving reasons why we set the thing up in the first place was to raise money for forces charities Mm -hmm. but also we wanted to provide a platform for teams affiliated with the forces to come and play we wanted to provide a a network for the local veterans community to come along and just have a good weekend Mm -hmm. so we tried to think about all the different drivers for doing it and you know the uh, ramping up the rugby was just another good way we were challenging ourselves to try and keep evolving it to make it interesting and relevant and continue to get the s numbers up so mm-hmm. do you ever get did you, have you ever had many of the um the unit rugby teams down yeah i mean you know we had um the parachute regiment for example um mm-hmm. that, that you know you'd have a composite team sometimes from the different battalions would come um but we always had, especially since, you know, the, the, the sad loss of Conrad, we had, you know, a, a para-reg team every mm-hmm. year composed of both the Union and League players who mm-hmm. will come along. We have, um, with uh, Kyneton Base being close by and, you know, the EOD regiment, mm-hmm. uh, 11 EOD sent a team up a couple of years, mm-hmm. which was terrific having those mm-hmm. guys along. We had um, uh, teams of Army veterans coming who played, you know, at a very senior level. And we had, you know, we had the Mighty Reds, the Sevens, the Army Sevens elite rugby team have a couple of years ago. Of, um have you heard of the military nomads? 
Well, we've had a team called Nomads Rugby, but Nomads I'm not sure. Nomads Rugby. Yeah, there's a sevens team called the Nomads. So I'm uh, not sure if it's the same I one, but uh, I, I the Military Nomads. The Military Nomads. This is, no, I think it was started up less, well, less than a couple of years ago. And um, it exists in Facebook group form. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, I've not managed to play this yet. I'm, I have to come out of retirement. Um, but they, they're, it's basically an, a group of ex-military rugby players all over the UK, and um, they try and organise. I, I, you know, I don't know who. I wish I could remember the name. I don't know who founded it. They try and organise a once. A, a, in fact, it must be the last eight months. It's once in a blue moon they try and organise a match somewhere yeah. to raise money. And normally it's at a festival. Yeah. Normally they get organised at a festival. I think they've only played two matches, maybe. Yeah. But it's literally it's comic. I mean, it's, I haven't played yet. But it's comical when you see it setting up. I, I think, when was the last time I couldn't go and do it? But the, the setup is right, fellas. There's a festival on in such and such. Uh, they've agreed. They're, they're, the organisers agreed for us to come along and play. Amazing! Uh, who can make it? And uh, I remember the first time I did it. I was thinking, went went to, went to the training. But it's not. It's just right. Whoever can make it, you yeah. turn up in the day. You get yeah. chucked the jersey, and then you're on the pitch. I think, oh my god, it must be it must be it's madness. The ultimate barbarian must rugby. Be madness must be madness. I'm looking forward to it, but I won't be able to walk for about two weeks. But um, yeah, military military you know, my fifteen. They called. I wonder. I'll have, to, I'll have to. I'll have to. This. I'll have to give it. Give it a yeah. deal. Let's get along to the next one. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll talk to you a little bit about the future later on because oh, right, we, okay, we are okay. again. We're evolving and changing. Right. Um, okay, but okay. Uh, but no. I mean, you know, the, we we had we've had some great support. We had a team from Sandhurst from the Office of Cadets come mm-hmm. up this year again, and uh, you know, we had a team like the Military Nomads coming uh, for many many years called the I mean, Army Mavericks. A lot of ex Army veterans, yeah. uh, rugby or Masters rugby, sorry, level level guys who would go and play three or four fixtures a year. Masters rugby. Yes, that's right. What was so? Well. Ma- depending on your definition but typically um masters rugby takes you up even beyond 35 plus which is your veterans tournament sort of level so masters is around the 40 45 uh, okay. level so the, the maverick guys when they started the you know a lot of them had played for the army the actual army veterans team yeah. for the army, army army rugby union and then they carried on playing you know they'd still turn up with their boots and they'd be going around you know various events and having uh you know guest matches against uh you know uh, teams either based at um, at army bases or indeed you know conventional rugby clubs, but mm-hmm. that, again that 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 uh, you know that sort of spirit of carrying on playing and carrying on enjoying the game is still very strong mm-hmm. through it. And so again, that's what we really tried to tap into. You know, you link the concept of we're going to run a weekend of rugby aimed at both adult, senior, and and junior uh, rugby. What we can do, we're then going to wrap around it. We're going to wrap you know a fantastically well stocked bar. We're going to obviously guarantee good weather every year. We're going to put some great food on so that mm-hmm. nobody ever goes hungry ever. Mm-hmm. We we started to throw camping and glamping in, so we did glamping and camping. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah we yeah, did. Yeah. We did that as well. And you know, we obviously had a live music component. We tried to build up a small music festival side to it as yeah. well. So we had that, and then with a sort of a wraparound of saying this is a great family day out. You know, we 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 then sort of started to put other attractions on as well, fly pasts, helicopter flyings, things like that, just to. Again, make it interesting, make it different every I year. I saw the Red Devils jumped in at one of them. Yeah, they, they did. They did. They finally got in this year. This I, was their second I attempt. <laughs> and they, they did it. They were amazing. They they came in, in the you know, it had been a brilliant day all day. Then an hour before they due to jump, you know, bloody clouds started rolling oh, in and then God. a few spots of rain came. Yeah. And they went and did a, they, they passed over probably seven or eight times and then they all shot out of the yeah, yeah, yeah. back of the Antonov aircraft they were in. Very, very fast. Antonov? Yeah, they were in an Anton, old Antonov. Really? Yep. Goodness me. Yep. Um, who who provides the kit for the glamping then? 
Well, we worked with, um, you know, most of the time what we just organized was we organized like an adult camping zone. People bring your own stuff. Mm -hmm. And we did a separate um, sort of family camping area so that people could get some sleep or have kids in one place. And then you have all the noisy rugby teams in another place. This year, we worked with a really great company down uh, based around the Bournemouth area mm -hmm. who um, were recommended to me. And we got in touch with them and gone, you know, like a house on fire straight away. And what they did because they already had credentials in supplying glamping tents, bell tents basically, that were kitted out with everything you needed. They did it for the Bournemouth Sevens, they did it for Le Mans, they did it for the British Grand Prix. They did a lot of festivals, mm -hmm. and you had instant confidence. Who's, who's company? The company's called Honeybells. Honeybells. Yeah, Honey it's an interesting, it's a great name. Yeah. It does remind you somewhat of a, yeah. perhaps a glamorous dancer, yeah. you know, sort of like a strapline <laughs> nickname, but definitely not that. Fantastic group of people based down in Bournemouth. Absolutely amazing. Can't speak highly enough of them in terms of the way they do it. And what they do is, not only do they come and bring along and set up and, you know, basically run a glamping site for you, they take all the bookings. So they administer uh. the whole thing. So again, when you're organizing a festival like that, and remember, we're all volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. None of us do this as a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Having somebody who can run that for you. And given that we had people who would come up from London, especially for the weekend, didn't necessarily want to go to a hotel, but wanted somewhere nice to stay in. Mm -hmm. It was right in their price point, really, and right in the sort of sweet spot for them. Mm -hmm. So we did really well. We had, uh, wow, we had 25, 26 glamping tents sold. So they just take a spot on the fields and just and put the tent out. Right? Yeah, so basically, yeah, you could either have it, and we set up a camping area for people to just pitch, pitch up and, you know, park up. That club is perfect there for being... But it is, you saw, the, you saw, the, yeah, you yeah. saw the, 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 the groundworks there, and... But also what we then did was a dedicated glamping zone. And yeah. again, the guys came up and just set up in a defined area and it, was, it worked brilliantly well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah, it was good fun. The, um, the, when, after that, after that, uh, after Conrad's ride, I went back, the car was there. So we went back the next day, a taxi took me down and dropped me off. Yeah. And he dropped me off at the other side on the, on the Leamington Rugby Club side, is it? Is that what it's called? Oh, right. And I said, uh, mate, I said, mate, this isn't there. I looked at it, I was not here last night. This is not what, you know, you're thinking, you know, did the alcohol get the better of me? <laughs> I can't remember this. I thought, nah, mate, this isn't. He said, yes, yes, you can zip. It was um, an Asian guy. He said, yes, yes, you can, uh, you can walk through, you can walk through. I think, are you sure? Are you, yeah, I, there I, is I, a I track. I got Google Maps and I looked at it. I thought, oh, yeah, it's the other side. He said, yeah, you can walk the path through. And I walked on Lemon RC side. Could you walk through? Could you? Oh, man, you could not. I was in flip flops, shorts. I ended up over fences, through ditches, covered in nettles, things, and got the other side. But that spot for festival is perfect. There's yeah. only one, there's two houses there I could see on the Lemonton yeah. Rugby Club side. Yeah. And the old Lemontonian side is just isolated. Perfect for about, for, perfect for 200 bikers or a bunch of music or like yeah. 34 rugby teams. Really yeah, well, this is, I mean, put it in context on scale, we had over 4,000 visitors, including the rugby teams. We're 4,000. Friday visitors. to Sunday. Yeah. Goodness me, that's good. Yeah, so we ticketed? wrapped it from, uh, yes, yeah, we used uh, an online ticketing system, yeah. uh, a really, really good one, actually. And again, another thing we, we started doing when it got to a certain level. And um, yeah, we did online ticketing in advance. You, people could buy, they can pay, pitch up and pay, you know, because it is weather sensitive uh, mm -hmm. for people who are not rugby people and who don't necessarily get used to, you know, getting rained on all year. But mm -hmm. the, the nice thing is, is that we can, it helped us by offering the ability to purchase tickets in advance because you can get an idea of the numbers committing and you also meant that, you know, you're getting the money up front. So mm -hmm. really good, uh, really good model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds good, mate. Um, question. You are the, uh, so you let me get this right. In fact, yeah, let me get this right. Santander. Yes, that's right, yeah. You're the MD of transaction banking. That's right, yeah. Before I get to my next question, explain to me transaction banking because I'm, I'm, What's transaction banking? In so, layman's terms. In layman's like terms, really, really simple. It's moving money from A to B. 
that's what transactions tra payment transactions basically so you know if you're digital digital now right digital physical cash okay all sorts single currency multi-currency single yeah. country moving money around the world yeah so yeah that's the kind of industry part of the industry that i work in yeah mm -hmm. payments and transaction banking yeah so i've got <clears throat> over the last few years I've, I've noticed predominantly offices i think um moving into the bank industry but also um a lot of uh, a lot of ex-rankers so um private snappers i mean chris chris ashford who came on one of the shows he got out of the military as a private and he works down in banking well i might get this wrong yeah he does he's in banking in the city um so he, i mean he's got me it's not something i i've gone into I, I didn't go in that branch but um it's obviously something that uh, there's some attraction there for I mean, obviously money's an attraction it's an interesting career but i i'm i've always tried since i've been thinking about it try out to see what what is what kind of skills and and um would would make you a a good uh, make 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 it a good career for you as ex-military but also um that there are other organizations other banks i mean barclays i know i've got strong connections with barclays friends who work ex-commanders and that work there um and they have um they have like a vets program. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called vets. They have a vets program where they where it's sort of they have a couple of programs. One where it helps people into a job in Barclays if it's one suitable, but also sort of a mentoring scheme. Does Santander have something like, something like that? Yeah, we run a, a similar program. Armed Forces uh, to, Covenant. To I noticed you signed up to. Correct. Yeah, we are. Okay, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And, and what's been really good, and I think again, we've seen a higher profile of it within the banking industry for a few reasons. One is the Armed Forces Covenant and. A high think, profile of what, sorry? Sorry, the opportunities opening up and also an awareness as an employer on the skills and experience and the qualities that people with a military you know, background okay. will bring to the table. So you, I mean, you asked a really interesting point or question about, you know, what are the skills that are attractive or, you know, what makes it of interest to us to, to do it. So the first thing is we, you know, we as an industry want to support people who've served uh, in, the, in the military, in the armed forces. And when they come out, we always find that, it, uh, you know, I suppose given in recent years we've seen more of a churn of people coming out, mm -hmm. perhaps not staying as long in the army as they used to do, mm -hmm. or the or the navy or the air force. And so, what you're getting is you're getting access as an employer to a talent pool of people mm -hmm. who've been in a disciplined uh, trade or sector, if you can use those quite sort of neutral terms. But they've they've been working within a structure. But but I think you know one of the things I've seen both working directly in banking, and I also spent a little bit of time in management consulting for banks, where, again, we had a massive focus on recruiting military mm -hmm. uh, veterans and people who served, was, you know, focus on things like task, clarity of objectives, project management and delivery skills, mm -hmm. uh, garnering resources that you may not own, but you want to, mm -hmm. you know, access in order to deliver an end result, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and really sharp focus. Mm-hmm. So you start to sort of piece together those kind of skills and competencies. It doesn't matter what rank. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get the ability to apply, you know, the, the I suppose, the experience that comes, the attitude, the focus. It's very formidable in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, th those uh, those skills, that's not, I don't know if you're wrong, but that's not to say that, that um, you know, someone without a military background doesn't can't develop or have those skills. But I think just with the nature of military is that, they are f you're forced to learn those at a much young, younger you know, younger age than than you would be able to in civil street it's, it's a benefit of you know being in the military i think no yeah, yeah i agree yeah i can so, see what you're saying especially with the project management side that's something yeah. that i've realized in a massive way over the last few years and, and more even more so the last 12 months it's just at any rank pro 
it's uh, it's a it's a shame with with it because the ex military guys getting out they don't realize they don't realize not the lower ranks like private Lance Jack yeah. screw they don't realize what they've got sitting the talent they've got sitting there and I go back to it with your project management they think well I've never, I've never managed a project manage projects every day you manage a project in your house making a meal managing a flame project you stick it on the plate you know what I mean but then you go, then you know literally you, you, you manage be on, managing projects be on operations be an exercise be in barracks be it a training you're organizing training for your team training for your section training for your fire team yeah. you know, Lance Jack you're doing it all the time a lot of the time in the high-pressure environments with strict deadlines to meet and with strict criteria, all again, whether in operations or whether in the UK, whether you're frontline fighting troop or whether you're um, you know, um, yeah. uh, an aviation engineer or the guy who refuels planes on the, on the, on the yeah. airstrip. Yeah. You've got those skills because, um, like you're saying, it's a, it's a, it's a very deadline-orientated, um, uh, well, even now legislation-orientated and, and strict criteria you've got to meet. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, those are certainly some of the values, the qualities and the experience. That you have. And I would totally agree with you. I mean, I would encourage anybody, you know, sort of listening to the podcast or thinking about, you know, how they, you know, if they're still serving and they're thinking about a change of direction and coming out. There's so, so much to get opportunities. On it. So if someone's, I mean, I've got a few mates who are looking yeah. to get out and, and, and a couple of them think, what the bloody hell am I going to do? And I yeah. think, well, yeah. it's a million things, but what do I pitch to you? Where, how would they... F- how would they find out information or what and what they should again because banking flipping out as an industry it's a million different jobs yeah there are so there's what, logistics there's there's facilities there's security physical and cyber so yeah. you know you've got all those things and what you have to bear in mind i mean i work as say on the corporate banking side mm-hmm. um but both on retail and corporate banking there's such a high uh focus quite rightly these days on cyber security and protection and all of those things yeah. because you know we rely so heavily on technology you know, you used the term digital earlier. You know, banking is 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 very heavily digitised these days. Mm-hmm. It's not the physical movement that used to be, and um, you know, so again, that that knowledge around the whole principles of security. But then, you know, if you're coming out with trade skills and you've been working with with uh, technology and IT within the forces, then you know these are transferable skill sets. And I really would encourage that. And to come to your question then about how do you find out about it? I mean, all of the major banking firms, the consulting firms you know, accounting firms, professional services firms, on their websites and they're applying for a job, there will be, I'd be very surprised to find anybody who didn't have a point about, you know, are you a military serving personnel or are you a veteran? Mm-hmm. You know, this is what we offer. And you mentioned earlier, and again, I saw that both in the consulting industry and also, you know, I worked with Citibank for quite a number of years before I went to Santander and, of course, the American headquartered with Global Bank, mm-hmm. very, very strong uh, ex-military veterans network mm-hmm. globally mm-hmm. in that organization. They always had things on the websites to say, this is what we offer you. And it's not just about, you know, uh, learning a new trade, learning a new profession, but you've then got the support of other veterans within the firm mm-hmm. and the networking that goes on. Uh, to to provide that support, provide mm-hmm. that that connection, and back with the values again of mm-hmm. serving that 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 is provided. And I think it's been really smart how my industry has really not only spotted the talent pool, but then creates the conditions once people join mm-hmm. that they can still connect up with other you know mm-hmm. veterans. Mm-hmm. Can you do apprenticeships? Is that is that is that a thing that bank yeah yeah? I mean, I mean, you, we run everything from um, internships yeah. uh, for people to for both sides to try try it out. So internship being got to define that. So an internship, what we define as an internship, and that tends to be geared towards um, you know, a certain age group of folks. Um, mm-hmm. It would be running a, a sort of a, an opportunity over, say, a summer period mm-hmm. to come in for eight to ten weeks, work in a particular area or work on a project. So, short, so try, like, try before you buy. Before almost you like buy. consultancy, short-term, yeah. Yeah. paid, 
Short term, no problem for long contract, but you're both, yeah, yeah, trying, yeah. trying it out. Yeah. And, and equally, I've seen not, I haven't seen so much within Santander, but in other firms that I know, they will provide a, a pl- an outplacement type thing where, again, you come in and try to see if you like it before mm-hmm. anyone makes a commitment. Mm-hmm. So, if, say, if you're leaving after X years of service, then you can try the kind of placement programs which get you into the the, the organisation and give you a chance to you know experience it and see what you think of it. Mm-hmm. So there's the organisation well. wasting money as well on the training. Yeah, I, 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 guess, I guess so. But I mean, the, you know, the apprenticeship um, is it, it, again, it's in different things these days. I mean, when I first started in in banking, there was a very very heavy emphasis on you learning the kind of whole technical and legal and uh, and financial you know analysis side of it. Nowadays, people are much more specialised in given areas, so you're, you're likely to find, if you come in as project management, you'll be heavily focused on training your skills around project management, both a waterfall discipline, say, and mm-hmm. also agile agile training as well, which mm-hmm. is um, all different ways of delivering projects. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it, there's some good flexibility there. And again, I think the companies who've done it best have, you know, been recognised under the military covenant. Now, you know, there are different uh, awards that companies get back from, from the mm-hmm. MOD. Um, but, you know, the consulting firm I work with, cracking firm, they had a really strong, they had, uh, their program was called, uh, and I'll mention the name there, Capco, uh, mm-hmm. and based in London, Armed Forces to Capco, AF2C, that was their, yeah. their whole program and, um, very, very strong intake of, of, of veterans to do project management and to learn, you know, the, how they deploy their skills there and, uh, you know, really, really terrific. And, and that particular firm got, I think, either a bronze or a civil recognition from the MOD for the work they'd done. Oh, amazing. So yeah, really, really terrific. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, who do we have on? Lee McFarland. He does. He does a similar con- uh, company. So it's project project management consultancy and yeah. stepping into the training. Y two Y two X is the company. Yeah, right. Y2, I've not come across yeah. him. I should look. Oh no, yeah, good guy. He's ex military. Good guy. Just um, very focused and uh, um, yes, project management consultancy tries mm. to employ ex military as much as they can. Yeah. I mean, there's one other thing I'd mention as well. And a great question you've asked about, you know, why and, you know, what skills. I mean, what I haven't touched on yet is the whole leadership, the whole piece about leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that leadership can be developed really well. And again, we see with folks who've served in the military that, um, you know, at all levels, again, it's back to the project management point you were making earlier, that people understand what leadership's about, especially they recognize good leadership when they see it. And, you know, that principle of achieving results through others, you know, mobilizing teams, bringing stakeholders along, you know, sort of getting your mission executed. And But the way you actually act and behave as a leader, mm-hmm. really, really positive. It's huge, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the finest, the best commanders I worked for and, and or had working for me at certain stages, they were the ones that... Um, they were the ones that took heed. Of, I mean, there's acronyms and for everything in the military. Everything. Oh my God, the acronyms, acronyms everything, right? And there's um, um, you got like principles of war. Uh, which was that? Concurrent activity, anticipation. A cake. Cake. It was. This is not the one I was thinking of when I was just talking about this. But it was concurrent activity. Cake. Anticipation at all levels. Uh, thorough knowledge of the grouping system and. Uh, What's the E? Oh God, I can't remember. Something I'm going to get slagged off for this later on. But there was there's another one, and and one of the I think it's the principal's command or something like that. And and one of the letters is M, maintenance of morale. And people tend to think of, especially with the army, right? As, as I said, you've got three services, and you know they all have the pros and cons. And especially but especially with the army, people think of it as very shouty. You get like you just yeah, the commanders 24-7 but the best commanders they like that when they need to be but then they also recognise 
and the guys have got to be willing and wanting and motivated to do the job because you can make someone do something but they're going to do it better if the, if, if the morale is high you know or if it was high 10 minutes before when it could be high and now it's crap because they're in the middle of a, you know, a, a hideous battle but maintenance and morale and the best commanders are the ones who, who, who best leaders should we say are the ones that realise when they need to put their foot on the gas and, and 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 apply a bit of pressure but also when it's advantageous to maybe not do that and g the guys up or the girls you know and and maintain the morale keep it going because it's uh it's sustainability you know you you if you're on a project and you've got a deadline of five days time and you're and you're hard pressed to you're gonna be hard pressed to achieve that in five days time it's great you can thrash your team into the ground to achieve that right but it's not the only project you have you you're gonna be having projects for years and if you turn that that first project or that project into a nightmare for your team and they don't enjoy it or they start to hate you or whatever then every other project down the line is going to be a drama so you know it's, it, do i need to tap the gas if i if i don't go and shout the shall i be nice to them a bit of positive reinforcement and still achieve the aim within five yeah. days yeah yeah but a bit nicer and that in across the long term you've got a more willing team they actually look up to you you know they, they were the they're the best commanders the best leaders and I think um the impact of not having that awareness is um is is highly visible in the military environment highly highly visible um special operations if something goes peak tong if your unit whatever size it is goes peak tong because of let's say i mean you know lack of morale lack of this lack of the other you know poor leadership in some way shape or form the repercussions are pretty severe pretty severe you know it can result in the you know the worst worst case scenario um so yeah, no, I, I agree. And again, going back to that, even the privates, even even from the, well, I mean, not just privates. Privates refers to the you know, the army. You got what's the RAF? What's the lowest rank in the RAF? Airmen, the airmen, the airmen, and then the navy. I can't remember. But is it what are they in the navy? What's the lowest rank in the navy? Rating is it a rating or able seaman or able seaman? I think it is. Yeah, something like that. It was, all those guys, they may never have been leaders or commanders when they were in. But purely by the confidence they've achieved and the, the experiences they've had, they can they're very well suited to step into a leadership role in civil history because yeah. they, there's just that's something about them. You know, yeah. I, I say it all the time. I I, I say it all the time. It's just people they don't, people don't know what they're capable of. They just don't know. I wish I wish they all did. I wish they all did. They're not yeah. superhuman. Civilians are amazing. We you know and 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 there's a million civilians out there are, are, are better than you know a million military. We just have different experiences different abilities and um and it's and uh it's recognizing that you you're flipping good at, you you're good at what you could do yeah. you just got to find that thing and be good at it <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah you know. do, you, do you work with any ex-military at the minute yeah i do actually okay. i have um uh, a couple of um of colleagues in my my team um uh have served yeah. and there's other folks within um you know the sort of the area of the corporate bank who I know while they don't work with me directly they've also mm-hmm. served i mean again in different firms i've worked with we've had different levels of concentration of of, of military veterans mm-hmm. um but so uh, yeah we certainly have those guys there and uh, again you know that you can see you know the comments i was making earlier about the qualities you know i see that i see it in action and that's that's really powerful mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. uh yeah no they're, they're good they're they're, they're good uh, good people to have around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until you get on the piss and it's a drama yeah um, we talked about digital earlier. Cryptocurrency. What do you what do you reckon with this? Do you you may not have any knowledge. I don't know, but I'm assuming you've got more knowledge than I have. <laughs> do you think it's going to survive? Is it going to become a, a viable um, form of currency or not? This is a great question. Um, 
I mean, speaking personally and not on behalf of the company I work with, <laughs> it's the first thing I'm going to say. Um, I mean, it's interesting because cryptocurrency and block, uh, sort of blockchain, Bitcoin, they all get banded around and thrown around as, as if they're broadly the same thing. My perception on, on, on cryptocurrency and where they, you know, they've been set up as alternative currencies to the mainstream currencies that get traded, right? Mm-hmm. So invest in Bitcoin or you have some other kind of, of cryptocurrency. What worries me about them is speculation, and mm-hmm. it's how you actually regulate and look after people who you know buy or invest in them. That that's mm-hmm. that's one of the challenges I see. You know, one of the areas that the industry is looking at, which is different, is the whole concept of blockchain, which is allowing two parties to trade with each other directly, rather than going through, say, like an exchange mm-hmm. or some kind of a stock exchange or a futures exchange or a currency market. You know, being able to actually do a trade between each other and then exchange the value directly with a unique code. And that's different from cryptocurrency. But cryptocurrency itself, I see a lot of um, people being interested in dabbling with it. If someone can explain to me how that's different from speculation, putting some money on the, you know, the 330 at Sandown to try and make a return. If you invest in cryptocurrency, hoping the value is going to go up and then sell, it's the same principle or trading in stocks and shares, you know. That, yeah, that's that's yeah. my, my no, thing I, about it. So I, it's personal I, view, as I said, but it, it's that's my concern. I think there's other elements of what makes cryptocurrency happen, which are, you know, are being explored by the banking industry to see can we make them work to, you know, be better for customers to be able to trade with each other. But the, the cryptocurrency thing, I mean, I stay clear of it myself. Mm, no, I yeah, I I I I agree. With you. It is very much like um, trading in stocks and shares, and that's the reason. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the, the reason most people get into it. I say into it, just generally say, you know, into it at the minute is, mm. is because of that. They, well, um, what was, uh, what was Bitcoin at? It was at 20,000, 20,000 odd dollars at one point for yeah. a coin, yeah. you know, and it's down to, it's about 11 now, I think it is. Yeah. And again, to open it, go back up. Same with, you know, there's loaded, I'm involved there. I'm involved with the, with mining. Um, uh, but w- when you were saying about, Go back to when you were saying about the, the transaction between one person directly to another. Yeah. We, we explain that's, that's an issue. How do you regulate that? Yeah, I mean, that, that again is something that, um, you know, regulators around the world are trying to put in place things that will make it safe to use distributed ledger blockchain technology to exchange a code between two parties. So say you've got an importer and exporter, if I can yeah. use that example. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, what they might be able to do using, you know, blockchain distributed ledger is to be able to complete a transaction between them around some goods that might be being shipped. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, what happens is that outside of blockchain, you, you're sending documents. So if you're shipping something from China to uh, to Singapore, yeah. you're moving documents around. You're using physical documents, yeah. and then they accompany the, the, the transaction. What uh, the experiments of blockchain allow you to do is to exchange those documents electronically mm-hmm. between the buyer and the seller, mm-hmm. You know, and you're having a unique you know, one-off code. Mm-hmm. that is just exchanged between the two parties. You can then exchange those documents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where we're also experimenting in the industry is the physical exchange of payment. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, they move through banking exchanges and yeah. they're done through conventional currencies. So, you know, that that's broadly what's happening. And it's, you know, it's quite a well-known uh, trend at the moment in the industry mm-hmm. to look at the ways that can happen with the express purposes of speeding things up and mm-hmm. taking, you know, in the industry, we say taking friction out of, you know, out of a transaction. Can you see physical money going down the pan? No. Why is that? I think it will decline a lot because digital money and, you know, exchanging payments, doing things online, you know, buying things through your mobile phone, there's the convenience factor, right? Yeah. So that that is inevitably, if you look at what's happening in the market, the growth in money uh, transactions is all in the digital space. Mm-hmm. But I still think that there are people who always want to have the physical comfort of cash. 
And of course, there's areas of the economy and that are, you know, don't necessarily <laughs> want their transactions traced and therefore physical cash allows you to, to undertake business. So that's one of the reasons why candidly, you know, you know, that, that it will still be around. But I think you've, you've got a segment of people, if you think about it as a private consumer, you know, do you trust digital money? Do you want everything digital? And some people don't feel comfortable with that. They, they like to know that they've got physical, physical cash. So. Yeah, but there's, I'd say there's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of, let's say, the UK population at the minute, who, tiny percentage, who have all of their money physical. Everyone mm. must have it. All oh, yeah, Everyone yeah. must have, have it electronic mix. in some way, shape, or form. You've got to, because you can't you get paid, you know, it's, apart from the, uh, the, the, the black economy, should we say. Yeah. Um, no, but, you're um, right. I mean, and, and, and I think generationally what we see is, if you look at millennials, they, they're highly, highly geared towards mm. keeping money... Um, you know, in, in, in kind of um, the new kind of bank accounts you get with some of these startup banks that have, that have come out, um, that, and, they're, and they're entirely digital. So you're definitely going to see that shift. But what we see is people wanting to have, have both. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, 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 the stats of money still in circulation in the British economy, it's a staggering amount of money. There's a lot of fiscal cash gets moved around. I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I just, I, I've avoided having, the, having all my bank cards and that my phone. Um, I, I'd say I avoided it. I just never said it was a pain in the ass to set up. Uh, I, I think at one point I was trying to set it up. I dab- just dabbled it a few months back. And um, and uh, I'd said I had to ring my bank to authorise it. Oh, God. And then I, I did it last week. I put I put my couple of bank cards on there. Um, and now, man, it's flipping. It's brilliant. Oh, my God. I mean, I didn't even have to open my phone. I, no, I tell a lie. I, I I I have to unlock it. That's the security measure. For, so I, someone can't wa- walk past me with the old card reader. Yeah. And you know, yeah. So I have to unlock it and put it, put it. I don't have to open an app or anything. I just pay for it on the default card I've got yeah. on there. Yeah. I don't have to get a bank card out. To, and already in the last few days, I'm thinking that's I yeah. don't have to carry my bank cards around. It's just and that's for me. I'm 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 from a I'm, I'm very um a more technologically aware and knowledgeable than 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 the average person just through and let's not be blowing me on trumpet I just, you know I, I just that's the way i've gone i've always been very interested in it. i did i built the first website in 1997 you know what i mean in, in neath college it was called uh neath college sucks.co.uk i actually did it in the community in, in the in my a level computing class i i left college shortly after that <laughs> is it still is the site still up and running no, no it's not back back in those days um God, the internet had hardly been around. I, I think what ninety four was internet was established, wasn't it? Ninety four? No, eighty nine. I think it came yeah. about, and then ninety four sort of started going mainstream. Not yeah. mainstream, but you know, home personal computer. My parents got me a PC uh, ninety seven, and then back in those days, you know, now you have to buy a domain. You know, so uh, you, have, you know, if you want hughhere dot com, you have to go and buy it. In those days. You didn't have to buy it. There was a website called freeserve.co.uk. You had to go on there and just register what you wanted. And I went through everything. I had flashgordon.co.uk. I had flashgordon.com. You know, I just random registering. Random. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I think back, I think if I kept, if I like Flash Gordon, if I'd kept that, I could have sold that for thousands now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did need college sucks.co.uk. It was a good one. It was anonymous. Um, but they, uh, I, got, I got caught out. Because I was doing it from my home. I didn't know anything about uh, VPNs and uh, they had everything. Yeah, it didn't go, didn't go down well. Um, <laughs> how did I get onto that? How did, oh, yeah. So growing up. Um, digital. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've only just done that recently. Um, I think I think more I delayed doing it more out of the just the security concerns, and just, yeah. I just didn't like the idea of it. But I'm more comfortable with it now. But I mean, my kids are grow. I mean, they're what they're nine and thirteen now, and they, I mean, thirteen year old and the youngest likes for the cash kids like that. Well, there we go. They like the other physical in the hand, yeah. but the eldest is used to a card. And she's got like a like a um, Go Henry card. Yeah, Go Henry and, card. Um, yeah. And 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 I think they'll grow up with much less attachment to physical money. Oh, absolutely. And what about the generation below them? Yeah, I know. This They're is this is what's going to drive it. it. So it goes back to the physical yeah. money. I just can't. I just I think it'll. I think in very very specific areas of of the economy or specific yeah. industries it'll be yeah. it'll be needed in a very small amount but yeah. not for well the thing day. is that technology and digitization is really taking a the kind of hassle out of carrying, carrying cash and the mm-hmm. and the security that comes with it because if you lose it you you know you lose it right um but because it's you know wider and wider opportunities for people to take card payments say um or you know just be able to send a payment from a mobile phone now that is it makes life easier mm-hmm. and if you look at what certain of the you know online service providers have done you know look at uber you look at airbnb they have embedded the ability to send money just as part of that relatively pleasurable experience mm-hmm. you're booking an airbnb it just mm-hmm. is all it's seamless it's within it and but you can't pay with cash on airbnb you do it through you know a bank account push payment or you do it through a, a card yeah. right which you embed with it and that's again that's what's you know the whole digital economy is driving better experiences for people to be able to go on holiday you know buy goods and services and stuff and that's that in itself will change change people's behaviors plus with what you say about the generations mm. you know there will be yeah 20 30 years it'd be really interesting to see what the the stats are looking like for mm. the amount of money that goes but certainly in the industry the hottest area at the moment by far is mobile payments and you know digital payments something like that it's a real hot area so mm. Mm. yeah it's the way it's the way the world's going isn't it yeah absolutely yeah. Um, I, I, I struggle to see how you can make it more convenient, though. Now, you know, like saying, well, it's at a point, isn't it? But there's that technology advancement that yeah, you know moves yeah. things on. It's really interesting. I mean, I mean going still, back to come, sorry, yeah. no, I was going to say you can still buy beers now with your phone, right? So you can yeah, even I've enjoy not basic. Done that yet. Have I done that yet? Yeah, I've not done that yet. Not with my phone, right? No, I've not. Well, when you come back to the thing. festival next year, then you'll be able to, you'll be, because we take Apple Pay and things like that, you'll be able to come and order a round. I might be paying Bitcoin, you never know. I, go, I mean, going back to Bitcoin, it's like, uh, not Bitcoin, blockchain. It's like, um, what? I think, I think that, um, I think it will survive. And again, you're always not a subject matter expert. I'm definitely, no, you're more of an expert than I am, but I'm definitely not. But um, I do think that it, that the blockchain will survive but I, I don't think it'll be predominantly uh, as a form of... But it's predominant used to be as a form of currency. I think yeah. it'll still be used as a currency, but it will, it will not be the main focus of it. Yeah. Because the the the, te- the technical, the digital benefits of the blockchain, oh my, of other things with money, far away. Yeah. I mean, from a security perspective, all sorts. I mean, there's, a, there's one coin called uh, SIA coin, S-I-A-C-O-I-N. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but SIA coin, S-I-A coin. And uh, have you heard of it? No, no. Uh, it's not. It's not really well known. It's not small. I mean, it's thousands of currencies now. It's not small. It's not huge. Um, maybe like eighth or ninth most popular, I think, at the moment for mining. Um, but there, it, ha- it has a product attached. You know, Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. It's just a coin. Ethereum is just Ethereum. It's just a coin. Like Sia coin, it's a coin. It's currency. You can use it as currency. You can put it on digital exchanges like Bitrex and that. Yeah. But it's products well it's service you know what google drive is and dropbox yeah so cloud storage well sia is the same thing right okay so it provides cloud storage yeah. except because of the, the technology the, the the 
security that um, uh, blockchain affords, I mean, it's touchwood, is yet to be penetrated, is yet to be hacked, you know, uh, exploited, compromised. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of the, so the exchange of documents, so when you upload a document to, to see a coin or you download a document, when you upload it, it gets distributed amongst all of the users of yeah. see a coin. Millions, yeah. millions. So in order for someone to get and get hold of my document that I've got on Searcoin, they have to be able to get into millions yeah. of computers. Yeah. It's not just a case of getting a virus on and, and exploiting, but it's not that simple because right. each file is split down across them. It's a million parts. It's just yeah. not possible. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the cost of it is something like 10% the cost of Google Drive. Yeah. It's, it's a fraction, and they're, they're aiming yeah. it at um, corporations, at companies. Cause yeah. It's a commercial thing, yeah. super cheap. I mean, it's been refined at the moment. It's not. It's definitely not simple to use. But uh, again, as an example of a product, I mean, there's another one called Music Coin, and um, they're like Spotify. Yeah. Um, in terms of the model, except they 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 pay more to the they pay more to the artists that upload the music, the Music Coin, but they don't pay it. The people who listen to the music pay it. Right. So it, the people who listen to the music are part of the a part of the mining, part of the uh, form of the blockchain. And when they um, operate, you know, give a thumbs up for a track or download a track, that credits the artist with a proportion right. of music coin. Yeah. But that's more than what Spotify pay. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's automatic. Right. There's so no, you, it's yeah, complete. Because, because the overhead is so much less. Yeah. Because the infrastructure behind the coin, behind music coin, is done by the users of the platform, not spotify in their offices and all yeah. the people behind having to maintain everything it's just, it's that it's so going back to blockchain i think that's where it'll yeah. survive but maybe not predominantly as a currency it's, yeah. it's interesting it's really interesting yeah well i mean we're participating like a, you know the company i work for where we we've formed up with a consortium of other banks to you know deepen the use of it within as an international trade you know mm-hmm. when i talked earlier about that and certainly there's there's really good applications i think you know but the thing about the cryptocurrency side is is it's just about you know it's, money and anything and value is about confidence as well it is about the physical and the mm-hmm. security side and it's you know it's un- ensuring that that, con- that confidence can be maintained mm-hmm. as if you as you say if you have a compromise you lose that then that that undermines it mm. i mean all the all the impact on on the on the um on the value of the 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 cryptocurrencies in a minute is all again it's back down to speculation yeah. nothing has really happened to yeah. of 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 um a substance to disprove that they you know to 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 disprove the valid, their validity as a, as a a secure way of exchanging yeah. currency, yeah. whatever it may be. But it's all, again, it's back to all, all that speculation, which might, I mean, it, it must be a huge worry some of the banks, uh, like you said, for the regula- for the, for the regulation side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. I yeah. I'll have to see where that one goes. It's interesting. Yeah, indeed. Uh, five years time, it'll be on my phone, I reckon. It'll be on my phone. Um, what's next on the, on the, on the agenda for Rugby for Heroes. What's the next, what's the next event? So, I mean, we've taken the festival to 10 years. So this year was the 10th anniversary of the, um, of the festival uh, since we started up in 2009. So mm-hmm. we've physically held 10 festivals now, got it to the best and biggest we've ever done. Um, we are for 2019, we are taking a break uh, mm-hmm. from doing the, the big festivals. What we're looking to do next year is um, hold um, a couple of smaller events. So we work with Tony Lewis and the 353 Trust to mm-hmm. run a Rugby for Heroes 353 Golf Day mm-hmm. at the Warwickshire in Leap Wootton. Fantastic day, really, really great day. Yeah. No, you've got to come along to that. It's been really, really good to see you. So that's one thing we, we participate in. We are looking, because we 
are going to miss the festival next year, we have decided that we're going to hold a beer and gin festival. That sounds like a good What do you reckon? Do you reckon that would be popular? It sounds good. I've recently discovered... um, Fever tree tonics. I didn't realize there were really different discovered. flavors. Only recently. Well, it's because you've been looking at cryptocurrency <laughs> so much. You've missed the whole trend exactly, of tonic water. Exactly. They're exactly. amazing. They are nice. Like, even this is really talking random crap here. Go back. Well, ignore Fever tree a minute. Schweppes. Yeah. I always thought that if you got Schweppes. To, to, I don't drink gin and tonic very often because gin I used to find was like a super depressing, right. uh, super depressing drink. But now. With the, like again with the flavors, Schweppes tonic water and the Schweppes Slimline, Slimline, sh- Slimline, Sean Connery Slimline, Slimline tonic water. Um, I thought it was because it was like a diet tonic. Well, they've got nothing. I looked at the bottles. There's nothing in them. They've got there's like a quarter of a calorie in about a liter of the stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. But the flavors, even just between those two, I yeah. was excited. And then we did the the, the uh, as I work at a bar some evenings, right? And okay. they had um a gin uh, a gin guy in from. He's from Fever Tree, I think he was. And yeah. he went through them all. Elderflower. Yeah, that's very big. And obviously you've got ginger, which which marries up really well with rhubarb gin, right? So we, we at our festival this year, we had a fantastic gin and fizz bar alongside our real ale bar. Mm-hmm. a massive great bar now. And, uh, you know, we, we basically, um, you know, sold most of the gin we had. Mm-hmm. Actually, Tony Lewis and his family, you know, put a fair dent in it. You know, all the rhubarb gin seemed to go very quickly when he was near the bar. Yeah. But the thing was, I mean, you know, that there's a real sort of resurgence of interest in it. And what we thought we'd do for next year is that we still want to raise money right for the charities because yeah. we see that with both physical kind of injury but also with the psychological the support's going to be needed for a very very long time right mm-hmm. and therefore we kind of thought well what, what can we do that's synonymous with the rugby club and allows us still to celebrate and raise a bit of money and have some fun at the end of the season but didn't necessarily take quite so much time up to organize because trust me with everything you have to do to hold the rugby festival and you know the whole health and safety side risk plans everything it's a big effort so we did for 10 years we thought right next year we're going to have our golf day which has been very successful to be you know year six for that we'll do the beer we'll do a beer gin and fizz festival we'll get some street food in we'll get some live bands in um we'll then support later on in the year the comrades ride festival again mm-hmm. which has been coming to the rugby club now again just on its fifth year great bunch of people doing that we love having it and so we'll 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 do those kind of activities but what i'd like to see is that you know, you said right at the start of this, there are two rugby heroes. There is a registered charity, which is not to do with our rugby club, which does great work down in the, in the Gloucestershire area. Um, but we want to keep, I suppose, the brand values and the core values linked to rugby and just do, do good, do good things, you know, mm-hmm. support, support the guys, support the blokes, support their families, support those who have lost loved ones, right? And by, you know, not just having an event where people can enjoy themselves. It also is, a, is an act of remembrance. So a bit of a deep answer maybe when we mm-hmm. go from a gin and fizz bar discussion, but, you know, fundamentally we want to carry on supporting the blokes. We've had people who are members of the rugby club who've served. So mm-hmm. we have a lady who's a senior warrant officer in 11 EOD regiment still. We had a guy playing in, in the RF rugby team and mm-hmm. he's still serving. So we've got that connection ourselves and we've got veterans who are members and play rugby. So we want to keep that going. We're just mm-hmm. going to mix it again in the spirit of evolving and changing and keeping things interesting. Mm-hmm. We're, just, we're going to do that next year. There's no, I mean, there's nothing wrong it's with that. It's been great fun. It's, it's, no, but it's, it's still a good fun. You, 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 yeah, you do what you've got to do to, to raise money and generate the interest. Because, it, it, like you said, about remembrance, and it, it's as much about that and, and, and um, as it is about it's getting together, having yeah. the crack. Having the crack. You know exactly. what I mean? Whatever you're doing. Like the golf day. I, I, I haven't played golf for many years. I, I, I haven't, I've only played golf for years, and I, a handful of times really but the first time was at a golf day raising money for uh, it was for, for my girls football team but man what a, my first time what a flipping day out yeah. just having the crack and then yeah. you know in doing that 
bit for charitable causes. Um, yeah, so, you know, we'll keep that going. Keep the rugby values, keep the welcome going, you know, and it's very important that we let people know that we're, you know, we're still thinking of the guys, the girls, you know, the families, those mm-hmm. left behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so... So that's the next event is 2019. Then there's no other event. Yeah. Event. So okay. basically, we've we've had three the three events we've supported or run. So we've had the festival in May. We've done oh, the golf yeah. day in June. Yeah, we then yeah, yeah. we then supported and helped you know sort of marshal the the, the Conrad Ride event. We then have a break, and we'll then next May we shall be you know charging hard with drinking and eating for charity basically and yeah, uh, yeah. we'll run that but it'll be a fantastic weekend and uh, you know we learn so much about organizing these events and you learn every every year you learn something new and different and uh, you know we've even had uh, you know fly passes so we had helicopter flyings organized through the RAF uh, charitable trust who are the guys who help organize the Fairford Air Show mm-hmm. they have a commercial arm who helps you mm-hmm. you know organize a so you're having a village fate or something you want to fly past they'll, mm-hmm. they'll organize it for you Maybe. and so we work with those guys and they were the people who organized you know we've had the BBMF the Battle of Britain flight for the mm-hmm. last five years mm-hmm. uh, red devils we we work with in partnership with tony and, and the 353 trust we um a couple of years when we could still get access to these guys we'd also have uh, we had some um, helicopters from the merlin force flying and uh, puma force as well so we, we really you know sort of managed to get some of those components of interest which you know young people absolutely love kids love watching that kind of stuff and uh so we're gonna we're gonna keep you know mixing it up and you know bringing some of those fun things to how many people on the, the team event. how many people run the how many got help core 14 14 Goodness of us me, that's, a, that's a good bunch i wasn't yeah. expecting that many that is yeah. a good bunch yeah so um a mixture of members of the rugby club um as I said, some some who are ex-military veterans, mm-hmm. and we had, we kind of had this core team. Really, we were members of the club, but then we've had this extended team, right? So we've had sponsors on the one side of it, and then we've had um, people providing services ranging from like social media. So we had a great social media agency, uh, yep. Todd and Joe from the Spaghetti Agency, absolutely brilliant people. R- you know, running our Twitter feeds, running all our social for us. Likewise, we work with a marketing agency based in Birmingham who running it during the festival. Yeah, but also in the run-up. Right. Okay. So yeah, the, in, the, in the pre-event marketing, and then yeah, you know yeah. being there and absolutely just blitzing it all weekend. Yeah. So we, you know, they're, they're part of very much an extended team where they're coming in and they're, they're providing their services free of yeah. charge. Yeah. You know, to 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 just do a you know to do a good thing, support mm-hmm. a great cause, and a marketing agency who did all the collateral, so everything from. You know, if you look at our Facebook page or our website, you'll see there's quite a striking brand imagery, and that's all been developed. Who was that? Who uh, that? Uh, the chapter agency did all that for chapter us. Chapter agency. Chapter agency, yeah. yeah. They're based in Withall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did all of that um, to, to support the course and, and did an amazing job of getting all of the look and feel of all the things you have to produce, be they posters, be they the lanyards and passes, be they the, the beer beer loyalty vouchers we did. You know, you stamp every time you have a pint, you know, yeah, you yeah. have a pint of the, after nine or ten of them. And um, so they did all that for us. Again, they contributed that. We had local haulage companies, gave, you know, trucks free of charge to ship stuff around. Fortress Recycling did all the waste collections free of charge. Amazing. So, you know, every, you know, in all the years, uh, Hugh, that I've been involved with this event, and it's been bloody brilliant to be involved with it. I've loved every minute of it, even though it's been super hard work and a bit stressful at times, but nobody's ever said no. Any time I've gone to ask and pitch the idea and pitch the concept and pitch the cause, everyone's so supportive. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's one message I could get over on this, you know, in a sort of great podcast you've got here is that, you know, people really do care about mm-hmm. the forces. And they, you know, I'd never had anybody say no to anything I ever asked for. And I, mm-hmm. you become good at asking for stuff. You know, you do, you, you, you become really, really good at basically, yeah. you know, uh, sort of pitching ideas, but then getting people to commit. And it's been terrific. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all, it's, it's, it's an honest, it's an honest cause and you can't argue with it. Yeah, it's, so is that, you, you say what it is. Look, yeah. Do it, it's what we want and it, it would take a, 
a, a moron to say no. I yeah. I, 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 in most cases, obviously the other cases is not, but mm. it might be other issues. But um, no, yeah, mate, no, it's, mate, it's, it's amazing. Great. It's amazing. I am. Um, I'm gutted. I missed the first two events. Very glad I met you uh, at um, Conrad's ride. Yeah, likewise. I'm. Uh, I might. Yeah, I might see you there next year when I'm on my bike. The first bike I did first bike training session today. Ah. Cam riders. Cam riders. Warren. Oh, you don't ride. Do you ride? I know Cam riders. I know. Oh, you know Cam riders. Yes. Local, yeah. They're yeah. a well-known brand in the area. Ah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I met Mike over there. Did that today, and um, and then uh, yeah, mate. Next year. No. We'll see, come how often are you down at the? How often you down at the club? Oh, uh, most weeks. To be honest, <laughs> most weeks all. Week. Oh well, I mean, if you're not if you're not doing rugby for heroes, you're basically helping behind the bar or you know volunteering to do stuff. Yeah. So I mean, I do you know, I have sort of like um, voluntary duties I do now at the rugby club, and you know we help out on match days in you know putting food together and stuff. So we, again, the thing about these rugby clubs is that it, it's only as good as the team around it, and you know oh. everyone pitches in to do all sorts of stuff. So well, if you ever need a hammer or anything, buddy, give a shout. Thank you and, very um, much. Yeah, we bring your boots down. There's ne- it's never too late. I buy my boots. I I. Yeah, I you know where I'm they not, are. It's, I had to retire because listen to this. It's the flipping comedy of it. I uh, when was I did retire? I was. I went home. I was when I was, it was when I was serving, and I'd I'd go back home on a weekend to Wales from from Colchester, where I was based. Back on to Wales, and then in my parents' house, I could I could roll out of bed with a hangover on a Saturday morning mm. or a Saturday early afternoon onto the pitch. Yeah. It was. Thirty yards to the two pitches and the and the train and the clubhouse, and I, I wasn't a band player and I was quite popular down at the club, and um, I think I was popular. They might have just been blowing smoke up my ass. <laughs> I didn't blow smoke, taking the piss at me. I mean, I'm blowing smoke up my ass, taking the piss. Um, so I used to often when they were short. I can't be that popular. They used to call me when they were shorter players. When like when when they were short, I'd be a knock on the door. And my dad would call up Shug. Uh, you got John Bevan's at the door. After players, like, oh, fuck. I'd be drunk as a skunk still, you know, roll out of egg, and. Uh, and um and go and play and this game it was a friendly it might have been pre-season and uh do you remember the you read but they still do it now where proper like club rugby and the other side would turn up 14 people we're down a man and we and your team have extra so you go oh, we'll give yeah. you a bloke yeah so we had one of our players going to their team yeah and uh i i i Pop my shoulder, tackling our own player on their team. I dislocate my shoulder in a match, yeah. and then every time it was my left shoulder, and every time I went and put a, le- le- a tackle on my left shoulder, the shoulder would pop out. It was a flipping nightmare, and yeah. it started up. It would go yeah. four or five times a year, come out of my sleep. Yeah. So I had to hang up my boots and retire. Right. And then I came out of retirement after about three years. I thought oh, I feel strong. I was still serving. I'll go and try a training session. Went to the training session. Went down with the ball, and um, and then like a simulated sort of ruck kind of thing. Went down and my shoulders popped out. It's going yeah. down, and that's it. Yeah. But that was years ago. And I changed my training regime now. I did a lot of different stuff, calisthenics, a lot of swimming. I might have to. I do. I want to get back into it. Yeah, I well, I think it's something it. that you, you, you know, that you, you might go away for a few years from it, but the bug's still, yeah, the bug's still there. And you, all you need is to see 30 blokes or ladies <laughs> uh, on the pitch and you think, I could do that. I could take him on. I could, I could, I could do better than that. And it just, yeah. it just builds up. I mean, we had a, a we, we, you know, just on the off very briefly, the, we had four great patrons who've supported, um, the event in, in a public sense. We've had uh, Monty Halls, who's an actual Marine broadcasting at the moment, the Galapagos series on Saturday night now, just started Channel 4. Oh. But he's, 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 he loves his rugby. I mean, he yeah. rocked up in the very first year we had the festival. He rocked up with some mates from Bristol yeah. and ran out, which is brilliant. And uh, we've, we've got Liz Murray, who's uh, you know re- at the moment transitioning from a, um, a long period in, in, in the Gunners to um, work in a major bank in cybersecurity. Carl Heinert, who's the marathon man from, um, uh, from Wolverhampton, Badly burned in Iraq, 
as uh, you know, as a, a, a oh, infantryman in warrior. Oh, so you may have met him. He's run about 150 plus marathons. He's in the Invictus Game Squad not, uh, for this year. He's a cracking guy. Seriously, get him on. Yeah, He's yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, more than happy to make a, a, an introduction. Yeah, He's an absolutely top guy. And um, we also had our fourth patron, Mandeep Semi, who's um, a, um, a wheelchair rugby player. He mm-hmm. was in three Paralympic Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't. It wasn't serving in the forces. He had a, a really bad car accident, which mm-hmm. which uh, caused um, you know disability. And these four uh, individuals between them have really supported us. Mm-hmm. While I'm going through all of this, I think it was the point about this interest in what we were doing and supporting through sport, but also this lure of, of rugby. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a wheelchair rugby star, mm-hmm. and we've had someone you know who's now you know TV personality basically, mm-hmm. but still loves his rugby, and it's been a great bonding thing. You know, amazing. Um- Michael, congratulations on being the first civilian on the show. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm very honoured. Uh, rugbyforheroes.org. That's correct, yes. Yeah. And then, um, but you can also search it. So rugby for, rugby for Heroes Leamington, I'd say it's through search. Yeah, it's, it's Leamington Spa. Right? Yeah, Royal Leamington Spa. Um, you know, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds are all, you know, well established now. We're still, you know, making them very active. We're just about to announce very shortly how much we raise from this year's festival, so watch out for that. Yeah. You know, we had a target of £100,000 to raise. We've beaten that cumulatively over the 10 years. So we've got some great donations going out to our charities and uh, one or two individual uh, service causes where people need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, really, really pl- proud of it. But, you know, we're, we're certainly, we're moving on to a new phase, but we're definitely not out. So, uh, you know. Keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Thank, Thank you very you. much for your support. Thank you. Michael, cheers. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm going to turn off the video, aren't I? Two seconds. We still light. That's it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, another shout out to our sponsor, Camrider Warwick. Motorbike training for all levels, all levels of skill. They will assess you when you turn up. You tell them what you need to do, what you have done, what you haven't done in the past. If, even if you've got no motorbike experience whatsoever, your dad didn't throw you onto some 50cc moped when you were eight years old and you crashed into the wall. That didn't happen. So you've had nothing. You didn't even do push bikes, maybe. Camrider Warwick can sort you out. They're really, really good guys. I had my, I had my first day training with them today. And um, like I said, really supportive of service personnel and um, and nice people. So get onto them. Camrider Warwick on Facebook, camrider.com online. Check them out. And please, 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 even, even if you're not interested, give them a like, give them a share, search for them um, as a thank you for them enabling this podcast. Secondly, uh, another shout out to 429 Group. Go to 429.group, veteran owned, veteran run, security services, medical services, first aid services, health and safety services, and consultancy. They do all sorts across the UK, done a lot of stuff overseas in lots of many ways, shapes, and forms. That's an odd sentence. Lots of many ways, shapes, and forms. I'm not even going to edit it out. I'm going to keep that in. Lots of many ways, shapes, and forms. When you think of 429 Group, think of that sentence. Awesome. Um, go see them. Go visit them. 429.group, give them a call get in touch with them even if you just need some advice maybe you don't need a particular service you just need a bit of friendly advice get on to them they can help you out and lastly don't forget uh, michael valance rugby for heroes you can find him at rugbyforheroes.org i already mentioned it in the podcast and um and you can also find him online of course you can find him online you can also find him on facebook rugby number four heroes failing that rugby for heroes Lemonton. stick that in the search bar and they will turn up Thank you very much for listening or watching. Until the next time, out.